Welcome to The Partial Historians. We explore all the details of ancient Rome. Everything from the political scandals, the love affairs, the battles waged, and when citizens turn against each other. I'm Dr. Rad. And I'm Dr. G. We consider Rome as the Romans saw it, by reading different authors from the ancient past and comparing their stories. Join us as we trace the journey of Rome from the founding of the city. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Partial Historians. I am Dr. G. And I am Dr. Rad. And we are super excited because we finally closed the door on 449 BCE. The reign of the Decemvirs and all of the fallout from them is finally, finally done. Close the door? I freaking slam the door. <laughs> Goodbye, 449. Get out. <laughs> yeah. So we've been dealing with an exceptionally long year in 449, just to give you an idea of where we're up to. It's very hard to summarize in a very quick recap. We really suggest that you actually just listen to our past episodes. But suffice to say, we have been through the rule of the Decemvirs, the second secession of the plebs, where they said, we're not going to be part of this whole thing if the Decemvirs are in charge. We're just going to take ourselves out of Rome. I'm going to live over here now. Exactly, on this other hill. And then we've dealt with that all being brought back together. So we've seen the plebs being talked into coming back, the decimbers being kicked out. We've seen the restoration of things like the tribunate and the consulship. It's all coming back to normal. It's been very exciting in some ways to have some new consuls at play. And now we're kind of getting to the point where it's a new year and we're going to see how does Rome sort of develop and flourish now that it's finally uh, put the Decemvirs to bed. Absolutely. So without further ado, let's segue to 448. So 448 BCE, Dr. G, in stark contrast to 449, which I don't even know how many episodes it took us to cover that, I think it's going to be over in about five minutes. <laughs> it, well, it's definitely going to be very short from my perspective. Yes. I will read to you what I have okay. on 448 in its entirety you from Dionysius of Halicarnassus. I'm ready. The consuls of the following year were La Herminius and Titus Virginius. Wow. Okay, so maybe 30 seconds. Five minutes might have been a bit generous. I'm going to make the most of these two that I can. Well, I'm definitely intrigued because that first name is definitely one I don't think I have heard before. Yeah, so I'll, I'll delve into this guy first. So yes. his name is La. Some, that's his first name, his cognomen. Some people call him Spurious, but we think that might not be true. Herminius, not sure who he's the son of. Mm. Not sure who he's the grandson of. Cortiniansis. Ooh. Yeah, he's a patrician. Yeah. There's some speculation that he may be a descendant of Titus Herminius. Um, this is a guy that 
nobody will recall, but I'll remind you, don't worry. <laughs> uh, he takes a stand at the Sublician Bridge in 508 BCE. Oh, yeah. I and I then remember that, yeah. falls at the Battle of Lake Regulus. Classic. Classic yeah. early Republican figure, yeah. So the important thing to know about La is that uh, he is very likely an Etruscan. So Herminius Ooh. is a Noman Gentile of Etruscan origin, and this family has some prominence in the early Roman Republic. So we've got that Titus Herminius. He also goes on to become consul in 506. Yeah. La might be his grandson. Mm. Um, and we also have mention of Allah Herminius in some inscriptural evidence. Ooh. So shout out to all the epigraphy fans <laughs> out there. Whoop, 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 whoop. He does appear on what appears to be a bit of a broken kind of fasty where the decimvirs are also somewhat mentioned as well. Huh. If you're keen on looking that up, <laughs> <laughs> you'll need to go to Degrassi's Inscriptiones Italiane 13.1.366. Have that fun again. Thirteen point one And his name is mentioned there. So we don't. We think he might be a real guy. That's that's kind of the gist that I want to bring to the table. I'm just going to pause and appreciate that in the midst of a historical podcast. We think he might be a real guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just it's, like Pinocchio. It's tough times yeah. in the early Republic. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you, but there's a lot of these characters that we're just pretty sure somebody made up along the way. Well, yeah, to be fair. To but be this fair. guy is in an inscription, so that's a good sign, I think. The family record for the Herminii disappear from Rome in about the mid-5th century BCE. Mm. And if, for those people playing along at home, we are in the mid-5th century BCE. Right, so we're kind of just just seeing them pass by the window. <laughs> <laughs> this may be the last Herminius we see. Right, right, okay. Well, it's always interesting to see the melting pot that is Rome, you know, coming together like that. Mm. Well, I do have a little bit more detail than that, although not an awful lot, I will, <laughs> I will say. So for 448, we have got this situation where there were some issues at the end of the previous year with the election of the tribunes, you may recall. I do recall. Yeah, it seemed as though the tribunes were being represented in our sources, at least, as though they were trying to establish a new decemvirate, you know, 10 tribunes, and they seemed to be wanting to stay in power forever and ever. <laughs> but now on the side of the people, hurrah! Yes, but one of the tribunes was against this, Duilius. Good guy, good guy. And so he had acted to prevent that from happening. But in doing so, he had run the election for the tribunes in a very strange way. And so, yeah, we, we ended up being this kind of strange situation with the whole tribunes of the plebs. So what we've got now is the tribunes of the plebs are choosing people that they think the nobles might be on board with when they're choosing their colleagues, so co-opting colleagues. And that's Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> that's because there'd only been about five of them that actually managed to get elected, and then they were permitted to choose a buddy to round out the numbers. Uh, I feel... I Corruption! Corruption! Yeah. <laughs> it seems a bit odd, I know. And the, the strangest thing about this situation in 448, especially given everything that's happened with the Decemvirate, which wasn't great for patrician plebeian relationships, I think we can all agree, is that they appear, in our sources anyway, to have chosen 
two patricians and ex-consuls to be tribunes, one Scorius Tarpeius and Aulus Aeternius. I call foul. I want a replay. I don't think patricians should be able to be tribune of the plebs. In that, I think we all agree. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait a cotton-picking minute. Yeah, look, scholars, obviously, very mixed feelings about this situation, (laughs) about whether we think this is historical, what we think is going on here, but it certainly highlights the danger of the situation of allowing people to maybe choose their colleagues for the tribunate rather than having, you know, elections. Yes, it is a bit of a problem, isn't it? Okay, so what happens? How do they how the, there's got to be some sort of response to this. You there can't is. just let the patricians sit around in that in that role. Well, you would expect to actually hear more I think about what the you know, what the two patricians got up to in the midst of all of this, but it's actually not really on them. That's boxes amongst the chickens. You would think. Yeah, that's what I was expecting to happen. You know, I was like, "Oh, what kind of crazy antics are going to happen here? There's like an odd couple rock up with a skateboard. Hey, kids." Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it just highlights the fact that because there isn't much focus on them in particular, if we assume that this is something historical, okay, so I'm going to suspend my disbelief. (laughs) If we assume that it's historical and that there were patricians who were chosen to be a part of the Tribune of the Plebs body, then the fact that there isn't a huge amount of information recorded about them and what they got up to, to me sort of suggests that what we've been talking about all along, which is that To be plebeian in this time period does not mean to be poor and to be completely down and out. And that's why there can be relationships, alliances between these people and people who are senators and people who have other magistracies. Yeah, we're in a real situation here in terms of how do we understand the early period of Roman history at all? Yeah. Um, Because we've got these sort of terms that are sort of bandied around like patrician and plebeian, which mostly we're not sure how they were applied and what the limits of their definitions might have been. And they're also being utilised by people who are writing history a good 300, 400 years after the events that they're talking about. Yeah. What about the changes over time? Definitely. Are they well understood? What characterises a plebeian in the 5th century might be very different to what categorises a plebeian in the 1st century. I think it definitely is. And this is something we're constantly coming up against. But essentially what happens is you've got these new consuls in, and even though, again, they sound like intriguing characters, and we'd love to know more about them, I have very little detail about what they got up to, because it seems that they were not strongly allied to either the patrician faction or the plebeian Ah, faction. Yeah, so if we're talking about the consuls of this year, so we've got... talked a little bit already about La Herminius. We don't really know where he comes from. We think he might be related as a grandson to a guy like, you know, 50 odd years ago. Yeah. Um, And we've also got Titus Wiginius. Yes, yes. um, Tricostus Caleomontanus. Which, as much of it's a mouthful, I have heard before. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out he lives on the Caelian Mount, everybody. Big surprise. Who would have thunk it? Mm. But yeah, we don't really know what the political allegiance of these two are. And because we've had Decemvirs for so long yeah. uh, as well, we're just, we're, how do things line up politically with families? Um, we're not really quite sure. These two come a bit out of the blue. They do. And it does seem to make sense to me in the sense that 
we have just dealt with the aftermath of the Decemvirate, which means that a whole bunch of people who belong to the Decemvirate were exiled. So people from very elite families. I mean, possibly plebeian and patrician, because that was meant to be the deal with the second Decemvirate, right? That there were some plebeians included. But certainly some members of elite families have been exiled. So that happened. And then we also dealt with the fact that Valerius and Horatius, the first men to be elected to the consulship after the Decemvirate, were perceived as being quite pro-plebeian, which didn't go down well with the patrician factions, but they didn't feel like they could say much about it because of what had just happened. It was a bit, bit awkward. Yeah, so we've got this kind of power vacuum situation within the elite mm, in absolutely. Rome as a result of the fallout from the Decemvirate, yeah. which I think is fair enough. Yeah, and it makes sense as well, I think, that if you are going to be voting people into this situation, it probably makes sense to have people that aren't strongly allied to one faction or the other. Because you want to have a peaceful year. And that's what Libby tells me happens. It's peaceful inside the city. It's peaceful outside the city. The main focus, as you might expect, is on what's going on with the tribunes. Ah, yes. Yes. And I do have some detail on this, although it's not in any of my sources, really. Okay. So I think this is, we're heading into the story of Lucius Trebonius Asper. That is the one. Oh, this guy. Wait for it. You've never heard a name like Asper before. (laughs) It means all sorts of things. If you were to look this up in your Latin dictionary, and I recommend that you do, prickly, Mm. coarse, rough, thorny, unrefined. Just the kind of guy you want to have at your next (laughs) dinner party. Pitiless. Uncompromising. Truculent is one I had. (laughs) Severe. Uh, So he doesn't sound like he's made any friends. Um, They've given him this name, Asper, to kind of embody what he represents from other people's perspectives. Definitely. And I think he gets that name because of what happens in this year. It is severe up in here, Dr. G. There is no compromising. No. He's very upset with the patricians. I think he feels like there has been obviously some trickery involved in order for patricians to become tribunes of the plebs. And he also is upset with his fellow tribunes who allowed this to happen. Yeah, like which of you tribunes chose a patrician to be your guy that your buddy to join you in the tribunate? Yes. Terrible move. Terrible move. <laughs> and so he proposes a law that when the Roman plebeians are asked to elect tribunes, that they have to keep being called until all 10 positions are filled that you can't stop when you get halfway and say all right near enough is good enough you guys pick a friend (laughs) (laughs) we're working on a buddy system here it's going to be fine yeah so this idea of co-option is not something that's foreign to the way that romans do things generally Uh, there are a whole bunch of priesthoods for instance where co-option is the way that people become priests essentially it's like the priests that are already in there choose make a selection of somebody so you don't get voted in you're hand chosen as it were for the role (laughs) what a system for the rich and powerful (laughs) what a system indeed um so co-option is something that the romans definitely do in other areas yeah but what we haven't seen is first of all the tribunate has expanded in terms of how many uh tribunes there will be sure and that expansion has also seemed to have made it tricky to vote enough people in according to the way that their current voting system works. So it's almost like their voting system has lagged behind the change Mm. in increasing the amount of tribunes. And instead of figuring out how to make the electoral system work, instead they've gone, you know what, that's too hard, you choose a friend. I think as well from the previous year, it was because the tribunes that had been elected in in 449 
were campaigning so hard to stay in power, that had muddied the waters, I think, for other candidates, I suppose, for, for getting the opportunity of having enough, having 10 other people, you know, brand new people elected in. I think that's what had also caused the issue. Yeah. <laughs> You're telling me enough candidates didn't stand because they're like, I don't know how this works anymore. I'm not sure if it was so much that. I think it's just, I, I remember Livy mentioning something about the fact that it was difficult because the existing tribunes who were popular, you know, they weren't unpopular ha- because they'd gone after the decep- the Decembers and that sort of thing. They, they weren't unpopular and they were obviously fairly well known because a whole bunch of them were related to Wiginia, the girl that was slain in the whole December episode. So they obviously had high profiles. They were obviously influential people. And that I think just threw the election off. But Duilius was determined that we weren't going to get a repeat of the December with people hanging on to power when they shouldn't be. So all of this sort of culminates yes. in what becomes known as the Lex Trebonia. Ah, and not just a clever name. Not just a clever name. <laughs> yeah. Blow that trombone. Uh, yeah. So the Lex Trebonia in this period, so we're in like 448 BCE, this law, we're not sure if it's real either. <laughs> um, I'll just put that out there. Get your history here, folks. Yeah, there is some scholarly debate about yeah. whether this law it could be real. There is also some suggestion that it doesn't come from this year, even if it existed at this time period. Yeah. Well, it, it, I suppose if you are doing what we have often been talking about with Livy and Dionysius, they're writing so much later, they are crafting a narrative. Narratively, chronologically, it makes sense to have this law after everything that's happened in 449. It does. It does. Not if you're Diodorus Siculus, though. Well, a lot of things don't make sense to Diodorus Siculus. (laughs) I I don't think that he actually has the narrative gift of Livy or Dionysus. Ouch. Yep, I'm out. I'm out there saying it. Anyway, so that's really all I have for that year. And then I move into 447. Oh, excellent. 447. Boy, do I have some things to tell you about 447. Is that sarcastic? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Excellent. If we're reading Dionysius of Halicarnassus, they were succeeded by Marcus Gaganius. Well, we at least agree on the name. (laughs) That's it. That's all I've got from Dionysius. Okay, well, I've got a little bit more detail. Not a lot, but it's actually really interesting. So I also have Gaganius as one of the consuls for that year. And remember that name, guys. You will hear it again. Marcus Gaganius, son of Marcus, grandson of we're not sure. Macarinus. Hey, hey Macarina. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I also have mention of, as his colleague, a Caius Julius. Dr. Oh, I know, I know. I think there is a little bit of a question mark about that. but Yeah, but this is a good pause point, I think, because this is the first time, even if it ends up not being real. Sure. Sorry, everybody at home. <laughs> Gaius Julius first mention. Of a Gaius Julius. Really? I thought holding, we talked about... Holding a consulship. Oh, right. I was going to say, I could have sworn we talked about that family name before. I feel like they emigrated from somewhere. They have. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, if we're going into the background of that family. Yeah. So, a patrician family. Yep. Uh, possibly connected with Jupiter, if you ask them nicely. <laughs> um, one of the so-called Trojan Gens. Yes. Families who moves from... Alba Longa to Rome under Tullus Hostilius. That's what I remember. Yes. yes. And so the, these Julii are prominent in the 5th and 4th century BCE. Yeah. We're not sure about the connection to later Julii. Oh, I think, I think the later Julii are sure about their connection 
they're, they're going to make a big deal yeah. about that connection. Yeah. But we're not sure yeah, yeah. as historians. Oh, good to note. Good to note. <laughs> the line appears to maybe have been broken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for, for these potential consuls, mm-hmm. of which Gagania seems to be the surer bet, there is brewing between the plebeians and the patricians some tension again. Mm. Maybe because of the whole tribune of the plebs patrician thing of the earlier year. Or maybe it's just still the legacy of the December. <laughs> Who, Who knows? knows? Who knows? <laughs> uh, but certainly the consuls are making it their mission to try and ease that tension without officially starting anything with the tribunes. And also making sure the patricians don't have their precious little egos dented. Oh, that's such a balancing act. Good luck, guys. It's, it's <laughs> tricky. It is tricky. So they stop, they try and stop the plebeians from whipping up resistance against the government by suspending a levy which had been called against what well, basically they were, they were thinking of going to war with the Volscians and the Aquians. Ah, classic. Traditional enemies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they're cr- trying to draw attention to the fact, look, if Rome is eternal, internally at peace, then we probably won't have a need for things like a levy because, let's face it, our enemies tend to pick on us when they think we're distracted by domestic problems. So it's really, if we just, if we can just chill out <laughs> for a whole year, yeah. we could probably take this campaign season off. Absolutely. And then we have a line from Livy, which is one of those lines that I love, even though I know I'm saying in English and it's the English translation that is what strikes me. But nonetheless, it has to come from somewhere. It says in the English translation, but the one order was always taking advantage of the moderation of the other. Oh, no. Yeah. Is it the patricians being terrible again? Foreshadowing, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. <laughs> yes, it is. So the plebeians are feeling quite peaceful and chilled out until... The young patricians, Dr. G. They're out in their Ferraris again, tearing up the streets. Yeah, exactly. So the young patricians have decided they're going to start antagonizing the plebeians. So Why? On what account? Because they're plebeians. Duh. (laughs) And these are the young hothead patricians. And they've got nothing else to do with their time. Therefore, they have to hang out in the streets. They have to smoke cigarettes. They have to rip up fire hydrants. They are the uncoolest cats that I know. They are rebels without causes, Dr. G. <laughs> they I don't are. know what else to say. <laughs> anyway, so they start by just hurling insults at the plebeians. And the plebeians are obviously a little annoyed at this. Don't punch down, guys. Well, you know. It's too They're late. always gonna. They're always gonna. Hate is gonna hate. So the tribunes, <laughs> of course, are trying to do their job by protecting the plebeians as much as they can. Or protecting the lowly, <laughs> as this translation has it. Harsh. However, they're not being... They're not being very effective because the young patricians soon upgrade their assaults by actually violently attacking the tribunes. Now that's not meant to happen. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. So, yeah. But the tribune of the plebs are supposed to have an inviolable body. That's supposed part of to. the role. I think that this is why this is an interesting year because this seems like a real throwback to some of the issues we saw in 449. So you might remember listeners that when we were talking about the end of 449, we got those new consuls, Valerius and Horatius. And the reason why their fellow patricians saw them as being plebeian whisperers and on the side of the plebeians is because they introduced this suite of laws which 
seem to be about protecting the position of the Tribune of the Plebs and the Plebs more generally. And one of the things that they tried to re-protect, I suppose, is exactly that, the sacrosanctity of the Tribunate. So this seems like a very directed attack to me. Yes. Yes. This is insulting on many levels, not to mention just nasty. You're not supposed to touch a Tribune. That's the law. Yeah. The young patricians in this case are just going against all convention, uh, deliberately being provocative. Absolutely. And, and I think that they are showing their displeasure at these laws. They've obviously got a real freaking chip on their shoulder mm. <laughs> about this whole thing. So anyway, there basically aren't any consequences as these attacks continue. What? Because they're being carried out by secret gangs of elite Romans. <laughs> Is there a conspiracy going on here? Yeah. And it just appears like nobody who's in power has much authority. It, it, it seems like this situation is getting out of control. I think, I think this is the result of that power vacuum that's yes. been created by all of that exiling of the Decemvirs and yeah. whatnot. And now people, patricians are now jostling for power. And showing that off, I guess, by putting the plebeians in their place reminding them not to get too comfortable. I'm in charge here, not you. Absolutely. I don't care how many tribunes you've got. Absolutely. And so the plebeians kind of resign themselves to the situation and they're thinking back to those glorious days of 12 to 18 months ago when they had tribunes like Achilles, the fiancé of the slain Virginia, because they're like, you would know what to do in this situation. Outspoken. Yep. Good in, a, for this. good in a fight. Yeah, yeah. all of that now, stuff. Interestingly, Livy does also mention that the older patricians aren't actually super happy with how the young patricians are conducting themselves. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> but they're kind of also resigned to the situation because they're like, well, I can live with it. Because, let's face it, it's better off that the young patricians are carrying on like this than the young plebeians. Oh, no. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not a great situation. And Livy Not ends very happy with your patricians. Yeah, Livy ends up with an, an interesting way of summing, summing this up, or summing this up, I suppose I should say, which is that it's hard sometimes to be moderate in the defence of liberty. Because when everyone is pretending to be fair, what they're actually trying to do is make sure that there are people underneath them because if they feel like they're on top, then they feel more secure. Mm. But in doing that, they're also obviously creating an atmosphere of fear for others. So it's not the most hopeful end to the year, but it is actually, I think, surprisingly insightful into human nature. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> Does Livy mention anything about warfare in this year because I have well there was a levy that, yeah yeah, yeah yeah so like the only other thing that I have that that adds anything to our understanding of this year yes is that we have another inscription Ooh. oh okay for those playing along at home yes de Grassi <laughs> inscriptione italiane 13.1.67 and it is a suggestion that Gaganius triumphs over the Volsky eye in this year. How interesting. Well, Fascinating. I, I definitely have some warfare on the horizon. But Ooh. It, according to my account, it's not happening 
in this particular year. This is fascinating stuff. I'm really enjoying not having any source material. Uh, the amount of <laughs> <laughs> listening to these off. great stories and yeah. just finding out what happens as we go well, along. Even though I know that 440 and 447 have been done and gone very quickly compared to 449, I am actually enjoying this because this, I think, just rings so true to me in terms of politics. Even though we've constantly been saying, this might not be real, this might not be historical, who knows if this actually happened? I think it does ring true in terms of how politics works, how human nature works, how there are these swings between, well, obviously not in this situation, like left and right, as we might say in our... But definitely that that sense in which there is it's not a balanced operation at the moment. Rome no. is not functioning very well, no. and it's pretty clear that people are jostling for power. Yeah, and it's accurate that after, even though I don't for a second believe that all that stuff happened in one year in 449, it does make sense that you can't just wrap it up. It makes sense that there's going to be ongoing unhappiness. And I mean, it's probably just because I'm studying this at the moment, it reminds me a little bit of Weimar Germany, Dr. G. <laughs> Living with the aftermath of World War One and the Treaty of Versailles and all the all the complications in politics that that involves. It, yeah, it's not easy, yeah. you know? There's a lot of things to work through. Yeah, and there are going to be these extreme groups that are disaffected by the situation. Uh, and in this case, that's the young patricians. So, anyway. Probably time, I think, for... And the partial pick! <laughs> Nice little ego out of his cage from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) He does a marvellous job. Indeed. Okay, the partial pick. Yes. Rome has the opportunity to score 50 golden eagles. I'm not liking their chances, I'm not going (laughs) to lie. 10 eagles across five categories. All right, what's our first category, Dr. G? Military clout. Well, even though I know you've got a hint of warfare. Just a a hint. I mean, it it is a triumph, I suppose. You did say triumph, didn't you? Uh, you had a victory over the Volscians? Well, yes. A victory over the Volscians. Triumphs. Mm. <sighs> Apparently. Okay, well, that is something. Thank you, inscription. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should we say, what, a three <laughs> or four? I mean, I don't know how to judge that. I mean, they're certainly not getting into wars and losing them, but they're also, they don't seem to be necessarily going out and winning them necessarily, except for this small piece of evidence. Well, um, it is still a victory, though. I mean, what is it, like a four? I guess a four. I don't a, know. Four. a four. All right. Okay. All right. Military clout. A four out of ten. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Diplomacy. It's a bit of a shocker, I think. <laughs> well, I suppose there is a little bit of diplomacy in that, in my account, in 447, there is an attempt to keep things civil before they become very uncivil. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but then think about 448, and you've got patricians infiltrating the tribune of the plebs, and I feel like that's that's not a great move. It isn't, but I don't know that it has anything to do with diplomacy, because we don't, we don't really know how on earth they got there, <laughs> apart from being picked by some plebeian cronies or something, mm. or some clients, I suppose it's possible. <laughs> so yeah, look, diplomacy, I think, is almost, as, I think it's a zero. All right, yeah. zero. Okay. Unlucky. Expansion! No. No, Rome has not expanded its borders. Yeah, not for quite some time. No. no. Yeah. Weirtuous. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Laughable. I laugh in the face of weirtuous. Yeah. Um, everybody seems to be behaving re- relatively poorly. Um, I mean, the consuls, I don't have much on them, but they don't seem to be doing a terrible job, but they're not also reining in anybody who's doing anything wrong. No, and that's what so, I mean. So, yeah. come on, guys. Yeah. Being a, being a nothing means you get a zero. Yeah. <laughs> no witches for you. No. All right. What is it like to be a citizen? Oh, I was writing this category. <laughs> Look. The final category. 
it's really not great. You've got patricians in the tribune of the pleb position. Then you've got patricians terrorizing the Malian population with no consequences and secret cabals <laughs> of elites working against you. I mean, this it's amazing how quickly we can go from the era of Val- Valerius and Heratius to this. Secret cabals. Of elite. Of elite. Do we have anything more on them? It does sound rather like a conspiracy theory. Look, it does, and I'm not saying it really happened. But, hey, I've got to judge on what I've got, Dr. G. Livy says they're secret cabals. Okay. It's not good. It's not good. Okay. All right. Well, to be a citizen sounds pretty terrible. Yeah. I'm reading that as probably a zero as well. It is a zero, which means that I had no need for my calculator (laughs) because we have ended up on a total of four out of 50 Golden Eagles. A resounding fail by Rome's own exacting standards. And let that be a lesson to all you budding historians out there. If it hadn't been for Dr. G's inscription and we were relying completely on the textual evidence, it would have been a total zero. <laughs> a total wipeout. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. It's been a real pleasure and we'll catch you next time. Indeed. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Partial Historians. We would like to extend a special thanks to some of our longest-term Patreons, Sean, Sharon and Roman. We are so appreciative that you have had faith in us for so long. You too can support our show and help us to produce more engaging content about the ancient world by becoming a Patreon. In return, you receive exclusive early access to our special episodes with a variety of fascinating guests from all over the world. If you are unable to become a Patreon, there are other ways that you can support our podcasting journey. Give us five-star reviews that brighten our days, spread the word by buying and wearing some of our merch, or support our collaboration with the talented Bridget Clark, who has been helping us to produce some artwork on Gumroad. Until next time, we are yours in ancient Rome. Hello, and I'm Dr. Ann Wand from the Coffee and Cocktails podcast. Every month, we bring in fascinating guests from TED Talk speakers to entrepreneurs to academics to fill our ears and minds with new topics and ways of thinking. Right now, we're hosting a new series on controversies and contraband, where we interview world experts on unknown histories, including Italy's secret catacomb schools to modern-day witchcraft, undisclosed Nazi and fascist history, and much, much more. To learn more, check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.